Welcome to another edition of the Chords and Chords podcast. I'm back with my boy Harrison Chow, who's going to be a regular on this show. We have no special theme. We're just going to talk some sports. We're going to talk music, our favorite things. Right now, he's got his little stuffed animal turtle. He's wearing his Toy Story, the what is that? The claw hat? What are those little marshmallows the claw. called? <laughs> what is the thing they say where they're like worshiping the claw? They just they're say like, the claw. That's all they say, right? They like want to be chosen. Yes, yes. You are chosen. Speaking of the claw, that is a nickname for a famous NBA player, Kawhi Leonard, who is mistakenly, uh, I don't know what's happened to him. He's MIA. He is not in this playoffs. But you know who is in this playoffs is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who just hit a massive shot. Harry, I'm going to give you a couple options as we jump into the NBA right now. Just a quick little recap. After tonight's games, we are recording this on Wednesday night after the Warriors blowout and the dramatic Celtics Bucks series continues with the Celtics winning a huge game in Boston. Most impressive thing from that Celtics Bucks game. You have Giannis hitting that three with blood dripping down his eyes. You have Drew Holiday making the defensive plays at the end. You have Bobby Portis showing the most effort, doing the most in a white undershirt with Rex specs and a headband. What was the most impressive thing from that Celtics Bucks game for you? I mean, is it possible to say all three? <laughs> to be yeah, honest, I guess that's uh, fair. look, I know a lot of people have been praising the Celtics over and over, and rightfully so. You know, after the All Star break, they had the best record in the NBA. They were all of a sudden one of the best defensive teams, you know, maybe in the past like five years. Uh, it seems like Udoka and, and uh, Brad Stevens. Management and company all up in Boston kind of figured everything out between JT and JB, Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. And so going into this series, especially with Chris Middleton being out, it seemed pretty likely for most people uh, that it was going to be a close series, but that the Celtics were going to pull it out. But for me in particular, you know, when I was looking at the series from the beginning, I think a lot of people were discounting the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks have champion DNA in their blood. And the thing is, is when you go through an blood entire NBA out of their season eyes. and win a championship, yeah, yeah, exactly. You you play on a different gear. You know, you you essentially have seen things that a lot of other players have, you know, most NBA players will not ever be able to experience. And so you're able to kick it in into another drive and also be able to maintain your composure. And that's what you saw in the last three minutes of this game. Now, obviously Giannis getting elbowed by his own teammate, you know, uh, it's definitely not the best thing, but Giannis, that man is a freak of nature. You know, Shaq even gave him the Superman nickname and uh, he is the most dominant player since Shaq easily. And the one amazing thing about Giannis ever since he came into the league, you know, when he came in, he was just a project. Everybody said that he had a lot of potential due to his size, due to his length. But this is a guy that has been working extremely hard over and over and over and over and over every single summer, coming back, adding new things to his game. Remember when he first came into the league, man couldn't hit a three to save his life. You know, it was easier to pronounce his last shot. name. Do you think it was going in? To be honest, it, it looked a little funky. You know, the arc, the release is a little slow. The arc was extremely high, but 
and and also if you look at the bench reactions, you know, normally <laughs> with a three, you know, when Drew Holiday shot that three right after him, the bench was jumping up and down. They were like anticipating, oh, this is money. This is going in. When Giannis shot that three, <laughs> that whole the the Bucks bench was just standing still, just dead silent and praying and hoping. But you know what? Led by their MVP, led by that team's best player, you know, former league MVP, another 40 bomb in the playoffs. True. I mean, is there anything that this guy can't do? I mean, he, he like, I swear, he, the guy just never gets tired. And I also feel like that directly feeds into the effort of other players, especially, you know, like, again, a championship team, you need a player like Bobby Portis. He's a guy that's going to be knocking down corner threes. Okay. He's going to be doing everything that you need defensively switching Dude, effort positions. under the rim at the end of the game won them the game he missed all the layups but his effort saved them right he is a bigger player than shane battier but i will say he is he is that team's equivalent to shane battier great defender great rebounder and also corner three specialist that that's a, what that team needs and then obviously drew holiday i mean you're talking about one of the greatest defenders of all time defensive player of the year candidate first team all defense. Just stuffs Marcus Smart cleanly. Not only stuffs him, but grabs the ball, saves the ball. And throws it off his nuts, man. Yeah. That's how you know <laughs> that you're on a different level. Dude. So um no, I mean, long story short, I, I gotta go with I gotta go with all three. That was just a total team effort. And uh you can see they all play for each other. They they really have a great bond over there. And I think um, you know, Budenholzer definitely has a system which Previously, and I gotta, I gotta give the Bucks, uh, my, like the management credit for not firing Budenholzer. I was definitely on, on the train of saying, you know what, this guy, I don't think he's the co- right coach for this team. He he doesn't make playoff adjustments, uh, and he seems to be really stuck in his ways. But you know, over the past two seasons, he's definitely, uh, you know, they still have a system, but I see a lot more flexibility now with the way that he implements the system. Sometimes and- detrimental in a way, right? Because there's been a couple of these games where Giannis and Drew just completely destroy the system and they go one-on-one and that's kind of not what this Bucks team is all about. It's not why they won. You saw it tonight, Bobby Portis, Connaughton hits a couple threes in there. They spread the ball a little bit where Giannis, you know, obviously when he goes one-on-one, there's, it's really, really hard to stop him. Not many people can get in front of him. But dishing those out and, you know, that pass that got to him at the top of the key to make that three, isn't that normal? Hey, Giannis with the top of the key, just driving or Drew Holiday going at him. Ball moves around a lot. This is what this Bucks team that won a championship looks like more offensively. So it's a balance of that system that you're talking about and Giannis being Giannis. And that's why this series is going to be over next game. You think so? I they think so. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I truly, I truly think that whoever ends up winning this series is winning the East and probably winning the championship. To be honest, I, that's how much I value these two teams. Like they're just so good. No disrespect to Miami. Miami is a really, really good team too. But I'm telling you right now, like no Chris Middleton. It just goes to show this guy is just that unstoppable. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the NBA. He has yeah, been the best sure. player in the NBA for probably the past three seasons. He hasn't really been getting his credit and and just do, but I'm happy now more than ever that, that people are finally able to see with no LeBron in the playoffs, no KD in the playoffs. You can well, see KD just how impactful. Playoffs. I mean, well, he, I mean, he, he's in camp. I, I don't know where he's at. He's in the Euro league right now. He's watching, 
he's getting booed out in the uh, wherever hey, you he know who else is so. in the Euro League right now? The Final Fours next week. Our fellow DP alum Shane Larkin was the M- M- April MVP. I don't know how I stumbled on this, but Barcelona plays Madrid in the semifinals, and he's on some Turkish team like Andalus. You know he's Turkish. Like they show yeah. his yeah yeah Shane thing Larkin. He's, he's on. Uh, yeah yeah and I do Andalus I do know that whatever. Hmm. He's putting up numbers out there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Well, before we move on to the next series, the one thing that I didn't mention that was might be one of the most impressive things is what in the TB12 is Al Horford on? Where, where is this coming from? He won them the last game. He basically kept them in another game. I think it was game three. The, that put back slam that he comes out of nowhere down the lane and just throws it down. What? What is? Who is this Al Horford? Is Al Horford the best, second best player on the Celtics behind Jason Tatum? What is going on? You know. I honestly have no idea. I was just talking about this with my other friend recently about how abysmal Al Horford was on the 76ers. Granted, you know, the way that that team system was run and Brett Brown was coach, it just wasn't a good fit. But I honestly thought his career was over after a stint with the Sixers. I was like, man, this guy's getting overpaid. He's getting booed every game. He's playing absolutely just awful. And now he goes back to Boston. And I think they just have a better implementation of his skills He's playing like, man, he's playing like he's got Joakim and Ronnie Brewer and and, or, uh, and Corey on the team, man. Like, <laughs> Billy Donovan coaching the team? Because, man, Steve's driving. Turning back Scott the Humphreys. hands of time. I think he became the oldest Celtics player to ever drop 30. Yeah, which is, I don't know. I think I just always think of all the Celtics as over 30, right? Because all the legends, we didn't see them in their prime. So anytime you mention Larry Bird, Bill Russell, I just always think them think of them as old. And that Larry Bird was playing while his back was broken. He's laying on this, laying on the bench, just hobbled. I would have thought that at least Larry Bird would have done it once or twice. But Al Horford, the ageless wonder. Like Mikhail, like uh, Bob Pettit, Bill Russell, John Havlicek. I mean, they got like the retirement home over there, you know? Like Even Paul Pierce, you know, hung around a little too long. But I guess they shipped him away before he got old, old. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the other series. I don't even know if you can call it a game tonight. The Warriors are just absolutely embarrassed. They were down by 55 at one point. You can give me a couple of takes. Well, honestly, this game isn't even worth talking about because Grizzlies, as they say, whooped that trick and completely destroyed this team. How It's just so embarrassing. I think if you're the Warriors and you're supposed to be this title contending team, and I know all the press conference, you know, they're all being a little braggy. Draymond's like, it's just one game. Mike Brown, the interim coach, is saying, oh, it's just one game. We scored 140 on them at one point. Steph's like, yeah, I was talking some smack, but, you know, it's just one game. That's what the playoffs are all about. They seemed really cocky. And like you said, we were talking about in, uh, what was it, game four, the Steven Adams effect. I remember you sent me that text, like, first quarter. It was immediately jumping off the page. This Warriors team is small. Without Ja, we already know. Everyone's talked about it. This Grizzlies team is decent without Ja Morant, which makes no sense, but it's true. They're, like, 20-5 and in the regular season or something ridiculous. That I'd be a little bit worried about this Warriors team and just how cocky they are. And I know if Steph can go off, Jordan Poole gives them another 30-point game. They're probably winning in San Francisco. But the size of this Grizzlies team, Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson, if they actually just attack the paint, this Warriors team is so small. And the Warriors, or the Grizzlies don't have that ball-dominant thing. They, have, they can go to a bunch of different people. There's not one person dominating the ball. They're basically playing like how the Warriors like to play, but they have more size. So... I don't know about you. I think the I looked 
Game six, the uh, Grizzlies money line is, I think, like plus 320. So would you take it? Or is this game going back to Memphis? And what the hell was going on? 55 points. It's just embarrassing. How do you do that in a playoff game? Just decide not to show up and just give them the game. Yeah, that's tough, man. I don't know if I would take that, to be honest. Like, <clears throat> I know it's going to be a close one, but to win on the road. And if you look at the I mean, put this game aside. Let's go back to game four real quick. Warriors probably played one of their worst games ever. Like, probably one of the worst games I've ever seen them play at home in the playoffs. And they somehow still found a way to True. win. And, it, you know, it's not like just because Jaw is gone that the Memphis Grizzlies are all, all of a sudden a terrible team. Like, I think they went like 20 and five when he was gone. And uh, they definitely, you know, have a great, great system. A, a lot of young players, you know, run and gun, not afraid of the moment. They want the smoke. All of them have that energy. And so, I know that this next one's going to be a close one, but I think the Warriors are going to, I mean, like how much worse can it get than being down by 55? It can't. I think, I think they all are also a team that has had so much championship experience. Clay, Draymond, Steph, they're going to lock in. They're going to tell the other players to lock in with them. And I think it'll be a close one, but the Warriors will pull it out. And I just have to say, you know, I think Taylor Jenkins, Memphis's head coach, Somewhere he's probably kicking himself a little bit for not thinking about playing Steven Adams earlier in the series. Agreed. And I think this is this is the trap that a lot of coaches and a lot of teams fall into and they play the Warriors. They think to themselves, to beat the Warriors, you have to out-Warriors the Warriors. And what does that mean? That means you have to be able to put in a small lineup that's going to be able to push the pace, outshoot them, outscore them. But the thing is that this Warriors iteration – it's a lot different than previous iterations in that, again, they're very small. They're playing like five players. I mean, your 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 center is like six six. Now I know Draymond is playing. He might. I mean, he, reports say he might even be be, sh- be shorter than that. But look, you're the Memphis Grizzlies. You have you're a very long team, a very uh, athletic team, and a very physical team. So to not have Stephen Adams and Jerry Jackson Jr. out there banging on the post really wearing down these players. And also you got to remember Jaron Jackson Jr. And Steven Adams are two of the best, if not the best uh, on ball screeners besides Draymond in the league. I would say, yeah, well, Steve, and and for those players that are running through the, yeah. Yeah. And then for those players that are having to run through the, that screen, I'm going to tell you right now, Sean, you're guarding, uh, let's say you're guarding like Tyus Jones and now all of a sudden you got Steven Adams with Hall of Fame brick wall right next to you. And and and, and you you don't you, you forget he's there and you just run into him. Imagine how that feels. I'm and imagine how that the other direction. You. Exactly. And imagine that happening that to you like 40 times a game. 40 times a game, man. You would get tired. Dislocated shoulder. That's bad. Jason Momoa right there. You wouldn't want to be running into that. I would take Steven but, Adams um, over Jason Momoa in a fight. Hands down. Minus 200 <laughs> Steven Adams. I was I I, I, I don't even want to see the height and reach. I don't care. <laughs> hey man, I forgot what year it was, but remember that one time like somebody tried to get in a fight with one of Steven Adams' teammates. The dude just literally picked him up. Yeah, <laughs> picked him up, bro. This is like this is like a two hundred plus pound man that Steven Adams just picked up like he was a little baby and dragged him off to to pacify him. Yeah, I forgot who it was, but there's another one too where he just like grabs a guy by the arm and the guy just can't move anymore. Like he just moves, he physically just moves him and is like, no, you're done. This is, this is over for you. 
Didn't I think there's a Jimmy Butler sound clip, right? Where he's just like that that MF is strong. That motherfucker's strong. Like he's different. Yeah, strongest guy in the league. And uh By you far. know. So we'll see how he, if he can still because like you said, when you sent me that text early in game four, just if he's making those runs at the rim, if he's showing his little bit of mobility, obviously his offensive production isn't what it used to be when he was in OKC. Um that's probably has a lot to do with some of the good point guards and Russ, you know, who's like one of the few guys that Russ actually trusted to look for for passes and get some of those uh, triple-double chasing assists with. And then obviously with the season with Chris Paul was – Chris Paul makes any big man bit better. But one other thing about I got to ask you a question about the Grizzlies, though. So, you know, obviously yeah. I don't think that they're going to be winning the series, which is okay because, you know, this is like year two in terms of like them Yeah, and their best players out. injured. They have the built-in excuse, you know. But if you were if you were the Memphis Grizzlies GM right now, would you consider continuing with the entire team that you have, pushing into the future, or if given the opportunity to pair Jaw with another All Star, maybe not a superstar, but like right under, right under, uh, would you like a really good veteran that's you know certified bucket? Um, would you consider? trading away some of your pieces like a you know Bain or Brooks and and getting back a a better player like a Bradley Beal for example Mm. everyone kind of forgot about Bradley Beal uh well I think the thing is with this Grizzlies team is you look at their this run without jaw is really really interesting about how good they are and I think that kind of just shows like what you're talking about the talent that they have is enough the fact that they just blew out this Warriors team, you know, is one of the few teams that we thought going into the playoffs that actually has a chance to win the title. Obviously, like you said, the championship pedigree there. Steph, one of the best players in the world, is standing on the other side of the court, and they handled them in the way that they did. I think these guys deserve to kind of be the core that you develop and keep running with. I wouldn't get rid of – maybe you look at Brooks as a guy that's expendable to trade somewhere, but I think if you're the GM right now – and a lot of stuff, you know, gets overrated sometimes in the playoffs, right? Like you're talking about Budenholzer being a guy who was questionable to get fired and stuff, but you know, he wins that title and now he's set there for a long time, right? Probably. Um, there's other guys where, you know, Danny Green makes a living off of that Spurs finals where everybody just assumes he's always going to be that three and D guy. And he does it once, you know, one playoff game a year where he has the Danny Green game and everybody still believes in him as that he can do it all the time. I think the playoffs really get overrated in that way that this narrative of this Grizzlies team, like I said, has that built-in excuse of no jaw. So if they lose this series, no one's going to be ragging on them. Everyone's going to be saying this is an up-and-coming young core. And I think as a GM, it's really easy to buy into that, especially because you're the guy who put them there. You know, GMs a lot of like always like to keep their guys. You see it all the time in the NFL, right? Where if the GM comes in and the quarterback isn't their guy, they want to get him out. But if there is their guy, you know, a struggling draft pick, they probably hang on to him for a little bit longer than they should because they want to be right, like Ryan Pace with the Bears with my boy Trubisky. So I think if you're the Grizzlies GM, not saying that I would do it, but I can understand the thought process. This is the core. You look amazing right now that this is what you've built around. Most of these guys were drafted and signed by you. You know, there's been some trades, obviously, with Adams and getting rid of Winslow, but I think those are all upgrades. So maybe you look at Dylan Brooks. You can upgrade... Somebody that's not, you know, 
I would say like the highest you get is like a Drew Holiday type of thing, but Drew Holiday was making so much money that that was kind of an upgrade and above maybe what you think of Drew Holiday. So I would probably stay with this young core. I wouldn't go chasing a star. I don't think you're one of those missing pieces away. I think, like you said, you're more just experience away from being more competitive. And who knows what the West looks like next year anyways. It's probably going to be better right. than it was this year. But will definitely be better. Last thing I just got to say, though, about Jaw is uh, obviously – I love watching him. He's a really exciting electric player. So young, he's 22. And it's like, I just, I just hope the best for him in terms of his health long-term <laughs> because the way that he plays, man, it, I, I don't know. It, it's tough to be able to withstand that type of longevity if you're playing that recklessly. Yeah. And uh, you see a lot of players, you know, especially I think of Derek Rose, to be honest, like the way that job plays and lands and on his pivots and, it's just it's just scary, man. So, Jaw, you make sure yeah, you ice those landing. knees, and you gotta you have to learn how to land correctly. And and uh, I know he loves physical contact, putting his body on line, but it, it it's scary sometimes. Yeah, and you see the same thing with I think Dwayne Wade is what comes to mind for me, where you see you know his brethren, his banana boat brethren of LeBron. Well, LeBron's a freak. He's not the same as anyone else. Who knows what he's doing to recover his body in ways, but Chris Paul's out there still, you know, Melo still came back in the league. It's because those guys don't fall the same way. You know, Dwayne Wade is out and retired because he just falls to the ground too much. You keep playing that way. It's the same thing in pickup. I think where obviously it's not the same level and no one in a pickup game is living above the rim. But I think the reason that like you don't feel as bad is because that's a hardwood floor. Like you're falling on it all the time and you hear it all the time. Like Vince Carter says, Oh, I can dunk all the time. I'm, retired that's not why i retired it's the landing that hurts and if you're already hurts to land from coming up for that high where jaw is where he's so high above the rim and you're not even going to land properly it's just going to get worse and worse so yeah i agree with you where just what i don't even know what happened like somebody knocked into his knee and his knees bowed now he's out for the whole series so yeah i'm, I'm right there with you but then it's also kind of like cam newton right where if you take away you tell cam newton to stop playing the way he plays all of a sudden his production goes way down and you can't do anything. It's not the same. So it's interesting to see. But one last thing on this, did Greg Popovich ruin the NBA? Because what we saw out of the Warriors team today, they completely quit. The bench was out there in the half of the third quarter. And all these guys seem to be giving that message of it's just one game. It's just one game. We've seen it all the time in the NBA, especially this season. And after COVID Kyrie, you know, Ben Simmons, not even playing guys sitting out left and right where you go to a game and you're going to see the Lakers and LeBron's like, eh, I'm not playing today. So many guys just don't even value the game where you think at least in the playoffs, they would value it. And lo and behold, nope. There's even circumstances where a team can feel so cocky about themselves. that, like, you know, what? let's just take this playoff game off. Did Greg Popovich ruin the NBA? Do people even like the NBA or do they just like kind of talking about it? I don't think we love it in the same way because the players don't even love it in the same way. If they're willing to take a playoff game out, that Greg Popovich introducing just load management has really, I think, not trying to sound like some big conspiracy theorist and stuff, but I think the NBA has a bit of a problem that they need to fix quickly because this is ridiculous. It's a playoff game, and there's been a lot of blowouts in these playoffs where teams just, because of the threes and stuff, if somebody hits a few threes in the first quarter, the guys just have that built in. We're like, oh, we're probably going to lose this game. They've hit too many threes. The comebacks don't happen as often even though, I mean, there are a lot of runs in basketball and in the NBA, I'll give you that. But there's just been so many blowouts. And then tonight just 
inexcusable to be down 55 because you don't care in a playoff game. And I think it all just stems back to that. They're in this mentality of, yeah, well, I mean, it's just one game. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, uh, you know, maybe Pop Pop was probably like the gateway drug. To, I think uh, so. I think that's where it that goes back ended to. Ended up happening. I I would also have to, you know, there's a lot of other things too that I have to consider in there. I think like, like you said, like who actually, who are players that actually love the game? You know, like who are the players that? Well, what did what did uh, Damian Lillard say uh, that one time in his tweet? He's like, "All you guys running from the grind." Yeah, <laughs> or something like that. Not him though. You know, it's like who who's wanting to play 82 games a year? Uh, the only person that comes to mind right now is Nikola Jokic. Like that's the only guy where he's playing every single game. I had never seen that guy take a rest. Giannis is another player. I mean, he's never really doing load load management. Like no, he's actually injured. And when he's out, he wants to like go full out. You know, he's always trying. And the and you wouldn't Luca, Luca too. It's like the I, European players, man. I really think like yeah, true. It's just, but Luca, they like force him to rest and stuff. But with Giannis, I think. Right people are talking about how great Giannis is because he tries so hard. That shouldn't be something that you have to point out. That shouldn't set him apart from other players. You know, everybody should be like, I want to try and win this game every time. Yeah. I think another reason too, right. Is there's just so many distractions now in our world nowadays, especially with like social media, yeah, brand deals and just so many ways to make money yeah, uh, outside of the game that people are just distracted. Like they, they, they're, not willing to make basketball. Which the I'm not life. against, you know, I'm not trying to be like, Hey, shut up and dribble. It's just when you are dribbling, like at, at least try when you're actually on the court. Like, oh, I don't yeah, know. Definitely. No, you're right. Because like at the end of the day, it, it hurts the product that the NBA is trying to put out. And I think uh, also, you know, there's so many rule changes now. It's really tough, like for teams to just play like actual defense and True. with the pace of play and three point shots, like, it's just really tough for your team to get back in. If like, let's say you're playing a team that's just amazing at three point shooting and they're just knocking down all their shots. And all, now you're trying to play defense, but you can't play defense aggressively because the, the way that, you know, foul call, like offensive players are protected, you know, it's just tough. And I, I gotta be honest, sometimes watching the NBA nowadays, it is a little more difficult to like be as entertained. And I actually want to bring this up. You remember a few years ago, we were on a road trip and we were in Dallas and we were watching James, uh, when James Harden was on the Rockets, you remember, yeah. we were like, okay, let's watch the second half and see how many shots that the Houston Rockets will put up that are not layups or three-pointers. And the, the, the entire second half, <laughs> only two mid-range shots. And this was a playoff game. This was a playoff game, man. And it, and it was just like, you know, it's, and they were missing a lot too. That was the game where they were missing. I think they missed like 30 or 43 or something like that. And uh, it was just tough to watch. Yeah. So I don't know. I think this is something has to be done where we get in some of these games, you know, the Celtics and Bucks series and the uh, game one of the Bucks and Nets, they have these moments where it's kind of saved it. And, you know, you kind of get lost in it because the inside the NBA guys are so great after the games and stuff that even when it is a blowout, that TV show is so good where you kind of still think like, oh, that was a good night of entertainment. But in reality, some of these games have just sucked. And just seeing that game today of where you really just don't care at all to be down 55 and just give them the game in a 
not even just a first round game, but a second round really kind of just blew my mind into a bigger picture of like, is this really the best way to be doing things for a sport that, you know, you and I both love. And that's why Adam Silver wants to implement, you know, like that mid season invitational, be able to have like something that is a one and done type tournament you know, where you only have one shot, kind of like the playing game where you only have one shot. It's like March madness and, you're playing for something just to be able to put a better product on the floor. You know, sometimes it's in a seven game series. It's like, like you said, people just, they're not focused. And we saw that today with the Warriors. They kind of look like they're, they're thinking about, you know, their next invest, investments in Silicon Valley or, you know, getting ready for harvest season in Napa. So I, I don't know what's <laughs> going on with uh, being down 55, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you this right now. I think the, Whatever four teams are going to make it into the conference finals, though, we're going to be having an extremely, extremely competitive series between those. Yeah, teams. I hope so. I mean, I don't want to count out the Mavericks, but I think Suns Warriors on that side. And then after tonight, obviously, you know, game five is so huge. You win it in Boston, probably Bucks Heat because the Sixers team. We'll get to get to it in a second, but not a lot, not a lot on that bench. That bench obviously doesn't travel going to Miami. So, yeah, I agree with you that we were at least hoping for better comp- competition yeah. going into the next round. So, I mean, I mentioned it. Let's just jump right into it. Let's hit on the other two series before we jump over to some music topics and a quick little game at the end. Uh, Heat and Suns close it out tomorrow, today, whatever day you're listening to this in game, what is it, six, right? Heat Heat and Sixers. Sixers. Yeah. Yeah. Heat and Sixers. No, I'm saying like between the two, Heat and Suns have the potential to close out their series. Do they both do it? My gosh. You know what? This has gone seven games for both games. You think so? I think so, man. I and I and if I had to pick a team to actually win, given the best odds, I would have to go Sixers and Seven. You think the Sixers are going to come back? You think that you saw enough of this team? And whatever the South Beach defense, South Beach flew. I don't know what the heck James Harden was looking at because he wasn't looking at any basketball courts or uh, basketball on the court. Um, that Sixers bench is god awful. Everyone, you know, the cliche that role guys don't travel. Well, clearly they really don't in this Sixers team. They're not that great to begin with. They get the Danny Green game to win a game. Tyrese Maxey has been going on a downward trajectory since the series has started. And Beats face is broken. Um, he takes an elbow. I mean, I don't blame him. The dude's out there. I wouldn't be playing. Uh, the face is broken. His face is, I can't imagine the pain. Just one little poke of what's going on there. You know, I know the inside the NBA guys were ragging on him. Supposed to be one of the MVP. You go out and tough it out. Now that must be so painful. I can only imagine. I don't think, I think this heat team closes out in Philly. And even if they make it back, there's no chance, no chance. I just feel like everything that you said is a hundred percent, almost a hundred percent accurate. Philly, Philly's bench is absolutely terrible. I mean, you know who are you I mean? gonna rely like, on? George Niang. I mean, Kork-Maz. between Niang, Korsmas, listen, it is bad. But I gotta tell you something right now. Embiid will not allow this series to end. He will not allow this team's season to end. And I think they've had to go through a lot this year. You know, obviously with the whole Ben Simmons debacle. And Embiid, in his opinion, be, you know, should have won the MVP. And I, I think he's going to come out and have that 
he's gonna have a legendary performance in the next game, game six, especially at home. The crowd is just gonna be going crazy. He's gonna be feeding into that, and it's gonna be a very tough day. Again, the Heat are an extremely deep team, but a lot of their players haven't been playing, you know, that well. I would say no, like, Jimmy Butler is playing very good, but you know, Kyle Lowry's out there. He he's just logging cardio minutes um, when he's out there. And I, I, yeah, and I just think that. It, and Beat is just going to be extremely dominant. He's, he's going to have that Hakeem Olajuwon performance when David Robinson won MVP and Hakeem, Hakeem was like, you know what, man? The, the, nah. You ain't, over you ain't, under you ain't the real MVP. Oh, over. Over? over. Yeah. Dude's scared. Um, again, I'm not ragging on him. The dude's scared of anything hitting his face, which I would at be this too. Point, he, it doesn't, at, at this point, I think in, I feel like Joel Embiid is the type of player like he would rather – like he would, he would be okay if he died on the court. And with your your last season on the line, like you have, okay, like you can go on vacation and rest and recover for months to come. But this is your last chance, you know. They're gonna give it their all. And um, again, if I was a betting man, I think the best odds go with Philly. If so. I was a betting man, you're funny. Listen, we don't got to talk. <laughs> hey, uh, <clears throat> never mind. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, you just said you're not a betting man, so I was just about to bet you that this game ends in six because you said both are going seven, and I was, I'm pretty confident they both well, end. Well, let's put dinner. But, let's put dinner on that. When I come back in Orlando in a few weeks, if Sixers win in seven, you will we'll put a dinner on it. Okay, but just you. No. My odds are higher though, so I get two. I get two dinners. No, and you no, get no, one. no, no, no. My odds How are higher. Works? Who's favored in these games? Hold on. Let me look at the line. What do you mean your odds are higher? Please explain that. I, I'm sorry. My odds are not as high. So that means that I have to, we put in the same amount of risk. I get more of a reward. So I'm sorry. What? All you have to do is win one game and you get dinner. I got to win two games. So I get two dinners. No, no, I'm saying tomorrow I'm giving you, I'm saying they have to, for me to win, they both have to win tomorrow. Okay. 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 And they're what? The, Heat are a dog. They're two points on the road, and the Suns are a two-point favorite. Mm-hmm. So it's harder for me. I'm betting on an underdog to win on the road, and you get two Okay, games. we'll just go with it. We'll, we'll, go, said, we'll go with the classic. You go to seven. We'll go they don't have to win. Because you don't think the Mavericks are going to win game seven in Phoenix, do you? I, that's such a hard one, man. You know, I'm such a big Luka Doncic fan, and every year he's always going into game sevens against teams, I feel like. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe one year against the Clippers, he didn't go into Game Seven. He's only been but around for a few this years. This is a guy. That, yeah, man. And you want to talk about a person like <laughs> that? Just absolutely loves playing in the playoffs. This guy, you know, is is just an absolute scorcher. Thirty-five, averaging thirty-five points, uh, thirty-five points a game, career in the playoffs, pretty much doing everything for his team. Um, I think that they'll handle business at home, just given you know, playing with that Dallas crowd and not wanting their season to go to an end. I feel like Luke is the, the type of player to be able to push his team to game seven. Now what happens in that game could honestly change his legacy forever, because uh, if you can knock out defending Western conference champions and get the spot in the Western conference finals, now you're actually putting again, Luca is definitely a superstar, but he's like, I would say in like the B category for superstars. If you really, if he wants to be considered a, you know, a top, five top three player he has to make it a little further in the playoffs let's see what he can do in terms of carrying that team because again that team doesn't have a second superstar but 
they all do play well at home. And uh, I think I think Jason Kidd can't have them going to into game seven. If I had to put my money on that game, I would say Suns win in seven, but do not count out what they can do when it's just a one game series. Yeah, so the first series he lost in six, and then they, yeah, they then after that it was seven game series last year. So, mm-hmm. so basically, I mean, they play the extend series. Obviously, the first series they extended that one as well. That was a deep series, and like you said, there's always a game where he ends up coming out but i think the opposite of what we've said about this what i said about the sixers is true of the mavericks that their role guys are huge and obviously finney smith won them that i think basically won them that game hitting eight threes their role players have been really really big and have actually stepped up where they're just going to keep shooting threes you know they're going to live and die by it so if they if they're falling they're falling and they have a chance but i don't know I think Chris Paul's, the, you know, he's like you were talking about how Embiid's going to have this tenacity where he's not going to let the season end. I think Chris Paul's going to be really, really excited to go back to that arena after whatever scuffle happened with his family in the stands to try and shut that crowd up. He's been obviously he didn't have to do that much with the last game because they kind of cruised their way to an easy victory. And he was kind of bad in the first two games before that. I think we're going to have a vintage Chris Paul performance. and. I don't put it past Luca. Luca has the ability to basically carry a team by himself, but he's going to need, you know, Kleber or Bertans to come off the bench or Brunson to kind of match him and at least go for almost 30 as well, to, I think, to stop whatever's going to be coming their way from Chris Paul and the Sun. So before we move on to anything else, do you have any last thoughts? Because right now, looking at the series, we probably, you know, aren't going to talk again until they're all over. I'm still leaning heavy towards which is basically the four that I thought going into the playoffs of Suns, Warriors, and then the Heat and Bucks. now. Do you have any disagreements with that? These are going to be the final four standing on Monday. Oh, yeah, you said the Sixers, right? Yeah, so let me – I'll go with the three and the Sixers, I would say. Okay. I know a lot of Heat fans are going to think, be thinking I'm disrespecting the Heat. I'm not disrespecting the Heat. They're well, they always think they're disrespecting. They're the That's just Miami's complex. That's right. That's right. So, hey, we'll see. I think Embiid pulled out, but uh, I don't want. I don't want to see him being sent home crying again. We don't need one of those anymore. Dude, all you have to do is like touch him in his face. He's gonna start crying because his face is broken. <laughs> People aren't giving him enough credit for that. Honestly, how do you play with a broken face? I'd be sitting in my room, scared to like sleep at night because I roll over the wrong way in the pillow, and ow, my face is broken. Yeah. Yeah, imagine getting hit in the face twice like he has. Dude, there's people in pickup who refuse to play in pickup basketball games because they're scared of just a stray elbow or just going for a rebound. There's people who camp out because of that, and their face is perfectly fine. Imagine doing all that with a broken face combined with the NBA athleticism of people just flying in to the rim combined with the playoff desperation. Like, no, thank you. I don't care if he's no. wearing a mask. It's not going to help. So yeah, I agree. Uh, at that point, I'll ask. For, at that point, I would ask for load management. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, too, he had he had his out, didn't have to come back, and now he obviously has to because they completely changed the series. Yep. So just a couple. Uh, well, I don't know if we get some. I'll add some production elements if we keep doing this, but just a little quick 
couple headlines in the last things of the sports world before we jump into music and get out of here. Did you see how much Tom Brady's making? Once man, he's done man, playing man. football, 10 years, 375 no. million. Does this man hate his family or does, does Dejel understand? Does Dejel understand sees that contract? She's like, really, Tom, you're going to leave us again. You're going back to football. And then we're finally going to have you once you're done with football and you're going to go travel to green Bay in the middle of November around Thanksgiving time. Well, not that she would, she's Brazilian. So maybe she doesn't care about Thanksgiving, but Christmas time, you're going to go call the best game of the week, which now the NFL is probably going to put him on a Christmas day game. And then he says, well, babe, it's 10 years, $375 million. He thinks she goes like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You should go. We don't need you around here. I've done it by myself already. Go, go, go. Bye, bye, bye. I think Giselle had I think Giselle had 30 days of Tom Brady's retirement and he and he was at home. And she was like, Oh, originally after the first two days, she's like, This is everything I ever wanted. I wanted Tom to be come back, be a husband, kiss his kids, and be a family man. <laughs> but you know what? After 30 days, she just could not stand it anymore. She's like, you know, you gotta get out of here. Like I can only see you once in a blue moon. And so it's her. Uh, I like years. this. I like this pivot because everyone's saying, you know, like, yeah, oh, Tom Brady hates his kids. No, no, no. It's Giselle saying, like, get out. You're around too much. I don't like you. Yeah, Giselle, Giselle let me too much crypto talk. They have family, but um, she she can only take a little bit of Tom at a time, you know. <laughs> I can only take a little bit of Tom much. at a time. When you're in the household and you don't have your competition, think about it. You've been, you've been playing com- something competitive your entire life. All of a sudden, you have no competition anymore. Who are you going to compete with next? Your wife. She's True. a bigger star than you are. So, hey, back on the road for Mr. Brady. And <laughs> I just got to say this, too. I feel like Tom is really calculated. Like, you think he took all those pay cuts after all those years and finally <laughs> he had a deal working out? He's like, no, I'll take these pay cuts because I know I'll be making $375 million when I'm done. There's no way. Because just two or three years ago, that would have been insane. You announced this as an NBA contract and people were like, he's overpaid. Do you think he'll be a better analyst than you think? No. You think he would be a better analyst than Romo? Name, name, one, name one thing that man has ever said where you're like, that was insightful or funny related to football. I don't know. I remember one time he was on when uh, when both of the Mannings had their uh, thing on uh, Monday Night Football. He came on and they were talking football. It was pretty enjoyable, to be honest. I mean, I imagine that obviously, you know, he has his guard up because he's still in the league and the way he plays and the Patriot way is maybe nestled in part of him still. We've kind of seen a little bit more of a free Brady after he left New England, but it still has never really connected to the football thing. So the most brilliant mind in football, obviously he's been the greatest winner of all time. But so maybe there's something in there where he knows, I would think he knows things about the game that no one else knows clearly if he's been able to do what he has done and no one else has even come close. So I just hope he shares that and can share that in a live thing. But of, you know, locking sounds, man, watching him in a press conference, watching him torture you and I for our entire lives, watching football. I've never once been like, wow, that was really insightful. Watched him do that interview with Lewis Hamilton last weekend for the formula one race two mega stars of the world. And it was so boring. <laughs> so I right, hope he right. brings, Something. I hope we get the beer chugging on late night television, Tom Brady, not just beat the you think this is his, 12 I mean, post conference. Does this mean that does this mean that this is gonna be his last season, you think? No. 
I refuse to believe that any season is that man's last season. He's probably still gonna wants know, to end man. up in Miami. When you, when you start, listen, when you when you can retire and start a three hundred seventy five million dollar venture, <laughs> I, I would give that up. Yeah, you you think you would do it now? I'm sure Gronk is calling him. Is like, dude, can I get some of that? Like, Tom, don't you want to just not play? And go do that on TV for that much money. What what are we doing, Tom? Why are you making? Why are you trying to make me come back? <laughs> Jul, Julian hey, is man. calling him like. I gotta say, please, Tom. Can I just get like a a fifth of that to be your sideline guy? Yeah, true. He could. Yeah, he should. He could pay everybody. Put them all on his payroll now. Now, I just want to say, if there's any person that deserves that type of money in NFL, that is absolutely crucial. There's only one person. Now, have to be Scott Hansen. Because without Scott Hansen, NFL Red Zone is not as enjoyable. And that man single-handedly, one person, carries the entire day experience on NFL Red Zone. Scott, so make sure, hey, Scott Hansen, get your bag. I agree with that. Because, I mean, he's just so, so enthusiastic about it to a point where I don't think anyone else can match it. Where there is Andrew Siciliano, right? He has the direct TV version. And no one talks about him as much. because So there's clearly a difference where Scott Hansen is such – where you think, okay, football just sells itself, but no, that job must be so hard. No bathroom breaks, seven hours of commercial-free television is insane. Even us just talking, like some of the podcasts I've done by myself where it's 30 minutes of talking by myself, I'm making like noises, you know, you can, I have to edit out like deep breaths and times to like, you know, really concentrate and lose my train of thought and like, oh, I have to edit that out. Can you imagine just being on live television where you can't screw up at all like that for seven hours? That would be insane. <laughs> I don't know how he doesn't go insane just talking to himself for seven hours. And also, too, I another don't even know how he goes to the, to the restroom, to be honest. He doesn't. He's talked about it. People ask him on interviews and stuff. He doesn't, which is <laughs> madness. Um, last little one headline I saw earlier today that I sent you. Both of you and I are, I think, whatever the one step above casual soccer fans is. I think that's where you and I are at. Maybe you you started a little bit before I did. I was more into world football back in the day. You have a bit more of a foundation of club football, but we're both, as Americans go, pretty into soccer. The headline I saw today, which really, I think the, the team to look out for next season is going to be the Gunners over in North London, the Arsenal FC, because headline reads, Arsenal in talks with Jesus. What, what uh, Man City can have Holland. Real Madrid can try and get Mbappe. Arsenal is signing Jesus. Good luck to anyone else in the Premier League. They're probably going to make the Champions League. Arsenal's. I'm going to go find a. Uh, I'm going to go back to Vegas where I just left a couple of weeks ago. Go go get a future as soon as the table comes out for next year because Arsenal's winning the league. They're signing Jesus. Listen, man, they got to change their name from the Gunners to the Holy Gunners. Or something exactly. Like that. The Holy Spirit is just going to come in and be like, hey, no, this cannon, we can't have this. This is not peaceful. Yeah. They had, yeah, man, it, that was quite the headline that you sent me, and uh, they need it, to be honest. Let's see if they even make it to, into the Champions League with a few games left. You know, I didn't even click on it because I didn't want to ruin the the beauty in that headline. It's Gabriel Jesus, right, I imagine? Of course, of course. Okay. Of course. I don't know if there I was some other. This, I, there is not any other sport in the world with worse transfer rumors and transfer news than <laughs> soccer. Like, well, it's like the you most never dramatic, know right? 
it's always like the sun and then you have Le Equipe and <laughs> you know there's just like people were saying for example like uh Mbappe is he going to Real I saw a headline that he signed with PSG clearly he did not sign with PSG yet he's still mulling offers you hear things going all the time Ronaldo to this team that team this team like there's just no there's only one trusted source and that's that uh that one guy Fabia Fabi whatever his name is he, he says like uh here we go that's you know that's that's the woge of soccer but yeah, have you seen the? Like, I don't know who it is, but there's a guy on NBC Sports now who's trying to become the Woj of soccer. Some American guy who's doing all these yeah. reports and he's been like following the Holland deal. And I was like, who, who, really? This we're gonna have a Woj of soccer now? Like this doesn't work like that. That's not how soccer works. No one knows anything. All the things, it's all fake. It's all fake. Have you have you ever seen the uh, the Spanish TV show El Chiringuito, where it's like super super dramatic and like all the crazy camera pans and they just uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Was know, like they went viral about. for like the countdown where Messi was gonna go and like he never he didn't resign and the show just went like dead silence for like ten minutes. <laughs> it's just grown men yelling at each other. There's something different just about football culture. It's basically like college football. I think our college football is the closest we get to that where people are just yelling about, especially now with the transfer portal. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. Hey man, the there's nothing better than money Jamie, flying Jamie everywhere. Hey, Jamie Carragher and uh, and Gary Neville just going at it. <laughs> and shout out to uh, basically like the transfer portal now, where there's just money flying everywhere illegally, kind of like and other you know basically clubs in soccer and colleges boosters really booster clubs of colleges just accusing people of everything left and right. It's basically the same thing, you know, saying, oh, Barcelona signs all these people because they're using ways to avoid the financial fair play. Someone comes out today and straight up asks Nick Saban, did you guys tamper to get this Louisville wide receiver transfer? And he says, no. Really? Did you? You didn't do anything? <laughs> okay. Just wild, wild west. Nothing is, nothing makes any sense, which is, I think, just embrace it. So let's close on the last couple of things here. Let's throw in a little bit of music. Obviously, I say obviously too much. I need to stop that. The music week. Last week, we had another new music Friday. I sent you a screenshot. May is going to be packed with huge releases. We had the highly anticipated Jack Harlow. Uh, I think, obviously, Harry Styles is way up at the top right now. Q scores through the roof. Jack Harlow is surprisingly up there, right there. I think, trailing behind him musically with Doja Cat. Kendrick's about to burst into that tier again to reestablish himself with his album coming out this week. Who are some of the other names right now that are kind of in that just like massive tier? I think Billie Eilish was, but she's coming back a little bit. She was already peaked. I can't imagine. Well, Harry Styles' album Dua also Lipa comes out in May. Sure. Dua Lipa's Dua up there Dua right Lipa now. Just yeah, for sure. And pop off anymore. Lil Baby uh, is, I think, a little bit behind them just because he hasn't released anything new. But I think this summer, if you had to give me one artist, I think Harry Styles and Jack Harlow were some were in that lead pack of who is going to be the artist of the summer. And we'll start with just a little recap of last New Music Friday. Jack Harlow's album came out. RK Fire had a huge album that you we both loved. Obviously, a little bias coming from seeing them at Coachella pretty recently. Uh, who else? The Chainsmokers was irrelevant, but I, I forgot when they came out. Maybe this week or last week. Their, album, their album's coming out this Friday. This Friday with uh, Kendrick, who we'll get to. There was one more that I'm missing that came out 
last week? It was oh, duh. I'm an idiot. Bad bunny. Yeah. Bad bunny, of course. Duh. I think he has he has to be in that portion of the people that we were talking about. I he might be the artist of the summer if he can cross over that gap, which I think he's already done broken culture. So what'd you think of the uh, three major releases, Arcade Fire, Bad Bunny, and Jack Harlow coming out last Friday? And what have you been bumping to recently? Because I know I've been listening to Arcade Fire the most, but you might have a different answer that didn't even come out last Friday. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jack, Har- well, we got to start with the worst one for sure. Uh, I would say Jack, Jack Harlow definitely had the worst album. I couldn't, it was hard to to listen to that album the whole way through. Even going through the songs that had like the big name features, Justin Timberlake, Lil Wayne, Drake, like, I don't know. They were all yeah, just. How do you mess up a featuring Justin Timberlake? That should be just a recipe for success. And it didn't work. Yeah. I feel like Jack Harlow is good for a couple one liners here and there. He's obviously dropping songs that, some songs that are pretty catchy. Um, and I feel like right now he's filling in that gap for that college type rapper that, you know, all the young people love to listen to. And, and um, yeah, he, he's good for like maybe a song here and there, but for a whole, for a whole project, it's tough, man. He has like a really monotonous flow kind of like, like gives off a too cool vibe and it, it's like tough to, it's just boring. I don't even know honest. if it's, it's his flow. I think every song's about the same thing. Yeah. I think if he just changed the subject matter of some of them, Cause like we get it, he's good at it and he's good. You know, a lot of rappers are great at bragging, right? Like Jay-Z was one of the best about just being braggadocious, but he also rapped about real things or, you know, had a little funny wordplay and stuff where he had different songs that were just about different things and could branch out subject matter where one album doesn't have to be the same thing where, okay, dude, we get it. Like you're on the peak right now and you have newfound money and, you know, you're talking about how you can steal some dude's girl and blah, blah, blah. And you're trying to get shooting your shot with Dua Lipa, which I fully respect if I was Jack Harlow. Completely understand. Put out the strategy. I heard she didn't really receive it as well as maybe he would have liked, but he shot a shot. He tried. The, every song was just kind of the same thing. Like the whole album is about the same thing. And like you said, I think they definitely spent a lot, a lot of money on the beats, but I don't know. They all just kind of sounded very similar like you said it was there was a monotony to it which i was not expecting because he kind of has some clever wordplay and his flow is catchy and the last album i think just hit a little bit better than this one it just felt a little slow Mm -hmm. which might be a product of expectations because people have like we said he was skyrocketing so much that even you and i who don't really you're not huge fans of him I was anticipating this album, which I wouldn't have thought right. I would ever do with anything of a Jack Harlow release even months ago. So maybe just set the expectations a little bit too high that he didn't live up to him. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And as far as the other two albums go, um, I personally really enjoy the Arcade Fire album. It's a great listen. Um, I love the emotional resonance that that album is able to provide. And uh, I think seeing them live also definitely helped out yeah. with the album listen as well. And then I would have to say my, my favorite one actually that I enjoyed was Bad Bunny's album. Um, going off instrumentally on that album, there's just so many crazy changes in that album. I wasn't expecting, to be honest, like really getting into more of a like authentic Latin sounds. I mean, obviously you still have your trap reggaeton bangers, but um, I feel yeah, like that like flamenco style that he threw in there. I forgot which song that was. That song's fire. Yeah. 
flamenco bachata i might be wrong with with excuse me for the people that do know excuse me if i'm just talking on my ass but (laughs) i feel like a lot of whatever i'm hearing it sounds fantastic and he's also the way that the engineers are working his vocals on a lot of the songs too it sounds it just sounds amazing to be honest i think uh i don't think bad bunny could do any wrong again i don't i'm not fluent in spanish uh by any means but um sometimes you don't need to know the words to feel what the artist is saying. So I, that is an album I deeply enjoy. Yeah, I agree with you. I think maybe a little bit too long. I was confused why Kaita, although one of my favorite songs of not even just the past year or stuff, one of my favorite songs ever, that song, every time it comes on, you hear those little birds in the beginning and immediately rushes serotonin. I was confused why that was on there. This has kind of, you know, been the trend that I thought we were bucking. Hopefully we get back to shorter albums. You look at the Arcade Fire album, seven songs, kind of seven movements, if you will, 40 minutes or so, just packed in the one kind of tells a story. I think it's a lot harder because of the way people consume music nowadays. But the idea that we are seeing and kind of discussing it in this way of albums still being a thing is something that I still hold on to. You always think about some of the great albums, you know, you think about a song and it takes you to a moment or a place or something, but you think about an album and it takes you to a whole period of time, how much time you just spent with that. Like the Dave album that you and I both love. I just immediately think about that month I had in Tokyo riding buses back and forth, covering the Olympics, just that always being there. It was kind of the soundtrack to that. You go way back of an album like American, American Idiot by Green Day, where that's just my whole fourth grade, fifth grade year, right? Just all those things combined with it tie back into that album because it's a whole piece of art and i think some of the artists who think of it that way of you know i don't have a record coming i have an album coming is something that's really cool you're going to see it which i think harry styles is doing a great job of kind of breaking that trend because he's so almost ubiquitous the guy doesn't miss it he doesn't have you know watermelon sugar is obviously a massive song but no one really thinks of him as like a one hit thing it's kind of like the fine line era and like the harry styles era and now this is going to be the harry's house era kind of ties it to a whole narrative a whole image which i think is really cool and you know it's really amazing at that and we're probably going to be blown away if anything if the whole album is anything like the heartbeat five is k dot kendrick lamar dropping an album which might just destroy everything we're talking about everything else might fall on a tear behind it because what's coming so far sounds like kendrick at his best and this album i, I have really high expectations what are you thinking we might be getting come friday I mean, at this point, it's pretty, like, safe to say it's going to be another classic, you know, one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. His last album wasn't even his best album. It was more of, like, a commercial album, and yet he won, like, a Pulitzer, or a Pulitzer Award Pulitzer. for that album. So, yeah, Pulitzer Award for that album. Um, I, I, I'm I just excited that he's back. It's been five years. I remember the last time his album came out, and I was at a different part of my life. And so I think uh, with him being able to go through – five years of his life kind of on the low i'm excited to see the things that he's learned the the life that he's seen the time that he spent with his family and coming back into the music now his last record with tde a lot of rumors are circulating you know this might be the last time we ever see kendrick lamar and so um you know whether he comes back under a different alias or different project um overall we're just really lucky to have had an artist like kendrick you know pushing the pushing the game of lyricism, pushing the game of storytelling, and also just a person that really embodies what hip hop truly is. Um, I'm so excited. I I can't wait for this album. 
you know, from a marketing standpoint, it's just marketing itself. I mean, you're, you're not really seeing any like promotional material being pushed out like that, to be honest. But yeah, it's an interesting rollout. But I think that music video. He's a, he's a type of artist itself. where, yeah, he's a type of artist where the out the the work will speak for itself, like you said. And uh, yeah, this Friday will be an exciting time. I mean, you pretty much got if you're throwing on a music festival, you have uh, three people that could headline for you with albums coming out this Friday with Kendrick, Florence Machine, and Black Key. So yes. it'll be a great, great week for music. Yeah, I was going to give him, as we get out of here, Kendrick's going to get all the headlines. But if you liked Arcade Fire's album, if you're like me, those are two of my favorite artists ever. Some of the greatest live shows I think I've seen between Florence and the Black Keys. I think I've seen them six times combined between the two, maybe seven. So I'm super, super pumped for both albums. Florence's is going to be amazing. The first three singles she released were classic Florence and the Machine, massive anthems that are going to fill arenas this summer. Those are two bands I definitely could not. If you like even just close to that type of music, maybe hip hop's not your thing. Or if you're diving into Kendrick and it's so deep and thought provoking that you need a little bit of an uplift, a little bit something just a little lighter, but still good content and still good music those two albums are probably going to be great just to kind of jam out to. I'm both excited. I don't know how I'm going to listen to all three while still listening to Arcade Fire, then listening to Harry Styles the next week. I, I might just, these five albums might just be my soundtrack for the entire summer and Bad Bunny as well. So six albums. I don't need any other music for the rest of the year. <laughs> all right, we'll wrap it up there. Music, uh, yeah, let me ask you real quick. Uh, who are some artists that you know haven't been dropping new new projects but you've been just listening to a lot more recently um recently well i've been finding like i had a strange kind of trend of a couple like indie artists that came out of nowhere i have been listening to a lot of like old arcade fire even before the new one um and then lately i've there's this artist i think her name is like wallace if you pronounce if i pronounce that correctly she has a song called funeral yeah yeah wallace it's been I, on I saw repeat. Her. I saw her. Uh, she opened up for Snow Woozy. Really? Yeah. yeah, she's really, really good. Uh, there's this Australian band, kind of like indie rock, surf rock, Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Good luck remembering that, but it is Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Their vibe. I think if you gave me like those two, that's kind of where I've been at. Black Country New Road, you sent me. I kind of did a full deep dive that was really emotional i don't recommend that unless you're kind of in the headspace for it but if you are and you like that kind of stuff go for it those are kind of where i'm at i know you've been bumping one specific guy a lot a lot a lot this past couple weeks another guy we saw at coachella you want to give him a shout out before we get out of here yeah i've been listening i mean fred again one amazing artist man it's like i love electronic music but it's always nice when like you get a different electronic perspective so between him and Lane Eight, I've just been listening to a lot more of their songs and just really enjoying like the instrumentation um, that they've been able to provide, putting me in a different headspace. And yeah, I think we're about to enter into a very fun summer of music yeah, and uh, basketball is heating up. A lot of sports. It's a good time, man. It's a good time to be enjoying music and sports. Two of our favorite things, things we like to talk about on this show. So that wraps up another edition. Appreciate you joining me, Harrison. We are going to try and make this more of a thing, make this more of a normal podcast, not just coming on here for drafts and lists and games I make you do, <laughs> but just a little bit more conversation about the two things we like to do. I'm sure we will have a Kendrick Lamar review and we'll throw in a little bit of the black keys and Florence and the machine, give them some love too. And whatever comes out 
this new music Friday. So appreciate you listening. Rate, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you made it this far into this podcast and are still listening, Harrison, see you again next week. And we'll be breaking down another hopeful masterpiece from K-Dot himself. Yes, sir. Goodbye. That wraps up the show. Appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time.